It's almost time for the opening ceremonies in Rio, which means we're all about to watch a lot of gymnastics and basketball, and also a lot of unusual sports, like steeplechase and Greco-Roman wrestling. For this week's episode, we had associate editor Lara Zorakonich investigate the stranger side of the Olympics. So when your brother-in-law comes by and switches on the TV, and there are a bunch of people race-walking on it, you have something to say. After that, we talked to a tanner for Filson about how to keep your leather goods nice even if it's raining. We talked to technology editor Alex George about preventing spearfishing attacks. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Like the one that happened to the Democratic National Committee. And one of our fact-checkers goes running in dress shoes. Did you know you can cut a cake with dental floss? I'm Jacqueline Detweiler, and this is the most useful podcast ever. The Olympics are starting today, and I'm excited. I really want to watch the, the opening ceremonies are my favorite part. And I think uh, gymnastics I really like Yeah, America loves gymnastics. They just turn it into like a prime time thing. It's, it's a fun. good, it's cool looking. I also think the Olympics are like the time to shine for sports that you don't hear about any That's other year. True. So like gymnastics you don't hear about like you know, you didn't hear, hear about it last year or the right. year before. But right. the Olympics come around and it's just like, yes. Right. Nobody's tailgating for swimming right. every weekend. Diving. Yeah, which is too bad because I swam in high school and it's a great sport. Thanks. Ah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so you are Lara Sorkanich. You are our uh, associate editor. And you have been researching obscure, obscure Olympic, Olympic sports. sports. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff about the Olympics. Yeah, like for weird, sure. Weird There's a sports. lot of weird events. Yeah, I remember curling had a year during the Winter Winter Olympics a few years ago. Everyone was like obsessed with curling because yeah. it's so weird. Yeah, well, curling has been around for a while, I think. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But uh, I just remember everyone got like up in a tizzy about it. it was all these like, what is curling? Yes. In like think pieces on, yes. on all the news channels. Exactly. Um, so we had a similar question. What is triple jump? From what I've gathered, it seems sort of like a fancier version of the long jump. Okay. Um, so the triple jump is funny because it's got a very specific way that you have to do it. What it boils down to is a hop, skip, and a jump. Um, so what triple jump runners or jumpers do is they run and then they hit a certain point marked on the track okay. and they jump off of, let's for this example, say their right foot. They jump into the air and they leap forward as far as they can. And somewhere in that jump, they switch their legs so that they land back on their right foot. Uh-huh. So you're doing a leap forward with your left leg presumably in front because you jumped off your right leg. Right. Then you switch back and you land on your right leg again. This sounds incredibly complicated. Part two <laughs> is that you repeat that jump and you jump forward again, extending your left foot forward, but you then have to land on your left foot. Okay. Then part three of that jump is you jump off of your left foot and project yourself forward as in the long jump. Okay. Put both of your legs forward and lean your body forward so you can basically like land as far away as possible. And this is when they jump over that sand pit. Okay. And they land with their on both feet and then their body weight sort of flings them forward so they don't uh, fall straight okay. on their butts. So wait, so the first two hop the hop and the skip are performed on the track. Yes. Okay. And then they go into the sand pit. Yes. Why? <laughs> I assume that it's not easy to run or project yourself 
up in that way off of sand. Right. But then no, after no, I mean, all of do, that. Why do they do this? Why do they do this? <laughs> yeah. So actually, there's some interesting history. Um, it goes back to the earliest Olympics. And basically what happened was historians at the time of the first modern Olympics, which was in 1896, were looking back at old events in the ancient Grecian Olympics. Um, and in those texts, they described people doing an athletic competition that was long jumping where they would jump 15 meters, which is about 50 feet. And obviously no one can jump 50 feet off of one jump. So they were like, oh, well, they must have been doing a hop, skip and a jump. And that's where the modern long uh, triple jump came from. Other than that, there's not a lot of basis for it. And a lot of historians have actually said that that could have just been ancient Greek writers being ancient Greek writers and exaggerating things. Uh-huh. Um, but like yeah. The wine dark sea. Yes, right. exactly. <laughs> okay. So another one we asked you about, um, what's the deal with race walking? <laughs> uh, so race walking was very big in the late 1800s. Um, it was actually uh, called by one author recently the most popular sport of the 1870s and 1880s Man. in the United States. It's a bit boring. Back right. Then. Well, that's kind of what they said. It was like people were moving to cities and they were bored. So they would just watch these race walking competitions. Um, and actually back in the, in the late 1800s, um, the original race walking competitions would last for like days and people would crowd into these arenas to watch these men just walk in circles for six days like at the a time. Original NASCAR. Yes. Well, that's yeah. That's exactly what the comparisons <laughs> are like. And they would spend six days walking. There would be there would be little cots on the side of the arena, and the people who were competing would go and take short naps. <laughs> But th- basically, some of these men would walk 600 miles in six days. Oh, my God. In the modern Olympics, there's three different competitions. There's the men's and women's 20-kilometer races and then the men's 50-kilometer race. Um, and just to give some perspective on that, um, the 20-kilometer usually takes the women about an hour and a half and the men about an hour and 15 minutes. And okay. then um, the men's 50K is like three and a half hours. So these are long competitions. Right. Um, And basically the main rule in race walking is you have to have one foot on the ground at all times. But what's interesting about race walking is the way that it's judged is a lot more subjective than any other Olympic sport because Mm -hmm. it's, it has to, to the human eye, appear that you have one foot on the ground at at all times Ah. so there are pictures out there of people who are you know medal winners mid step and you can see that both of their feet are off the ground but because it didn't appear to the judge at the time in the human eye that they were they had both feet off the ground it counted Wow. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little tidbit. And people race walk really fast. I remember watching one of these uh, competitions one time. You were just saying 50K. So, okay. So 12 miles in an hour, would you say an hour and? An hour and a half for women. I mean, that's fast. Yeah. That's quite fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you're, I mean, like these people can race walk faster than I can run. Yeah. So a couple other things we asked you to look into. I always wondered why men's and women's apparatuses are different in gymnastics. When women started doing gymnastics in the Olympics, it was back in the um, 1920s. And um, they just wanted women to be more dainty. 
Um, So the original gymnastics competitions um, that involved women uh, started in 1928, and they only competed as teams, whereas men's gymnastics started at the very first Olympics, and they competed individually and in teams. Um, So in case our listeners aren't familiar exactly with what the different equipment are, men have the rings, which are the wires with the rings on the bottom. There's two of them, and they pull themselves up onto the rings and perform um, gymnastic things while hanging on to those rings. Gymnastic things. Gymnastic things. They do gymnastic <laughs> things. Um, but so the rings have a lot to do with men lifting their bodies up through the rings and holding those very, are very difficult hard. positions. Yeah, like yeah. Um, the Iron Cross, I remember hearing. That's when you put your arm straight out to the side right. and hold your body in the middle. That's supposed to be very, very difficult. Right. So all of that focuses very much on upper body strength. Right. Um, and when you look at male gymnasts, they are very top heavy I would mm-hmm. say they, mm-hmm. they have very big arms um the men also complete compete in um the pummel horse which is that crazy thing that looks like a horse that they kind of just flip around, flip around yeah. on. again very arm uh dependent activities um they do parallel bars which are you know it's just two bars that are right next seems to like each these other. are all very similar yeah I mean when it. you think about it those activities that are different from what the women do are very arm focused mm-hmm. it's all about lifting yourself up holding positions and then dismounting in a in a complicated way um and then they also do the high bar which is just one bar similar to the women's uneven bars but it's just one of them it's high in the air yep. and they lift themselves up and do stuff on right. there um uneven the, bars are my favorite yeah so I think the, they're a lot of people's favorite. the women's competition has the uneven bars uh the balance beam which men don't have floor exercises in the vault. Um, So the uneven bars, another interesting thing about those is because those bars are kind of close together um, in a horizontal fashion as well as a vertical fashion, um, it would be difficult for men to do the kinds of things that women do because their feet would hit the bar as they were going around in circles. Interesting. Male gymnasts are not usually that tall anyway, but um, that is something that female gymnasts who are tall struggle with. Um, And they actually say a lot of female gymnasts will train on just the high bar. Um, So they have the ability to do a high bar routine and they'll do that practice on the high bar so that they don't have to worry about hitting their feet on that oh, lower bar for things like dismounts and and stuff like uh-huh. that who's the person to watch there's been a lot of talk um lately about simone biles who's on the um, women's gymnastic team and they say that she may be the best gymnast of recent times if not all times and she has a very strong way of performing her gymnastics there are there are people in gymnastics who think that their athletes should be very willowy and very graceful and Mm -hmm. Simone is very strong she really propels herself off the ground she does crazy flips that you can only do if you really have the strength to to propel your body um and she is sort of she's the most talked about person in in gymnastics right now cool I'll, I'll definitely watch for that um okay so for our last sport um we were talking about this actually i think this is how it started we were talking about steeplechase in a meeting yes and we were trying to figure out like is that's a horse race isn't it like why (laughs) why are we making people do it how did that happen yeah um so steeplechase does refer to a certain kind of horse race where you ride a horse and you jump over hedges um and you go through obstacles but in the olympics um steeplechase 
is actually an event with people. Um, and it's the same concept. It's just people running and they hop over hurdles. And then um, there are parts of the race where they have to run through water after going over those hurdles. Um, so the steeplechase now is a 3,000 meter race, which is almost two miles. It's 1.8 miles. Okay. Um, and it's done on a track. And the way that the track is set up, um, it's seven and a half laps around um, that they do. And there are four normal hurdles and one hurdle with a water pit. And these are not like hurdles that you see in, in normal Olympic sports. These are big. Um, they run across the whole track, so they won't fall over if you hit them, oh. um, which is also kind of funny about steeplechase because if people don't go over them right, those people go straight down. They, they oh, don't man. gracefully tumble with right. the flimsy hurdle that you see in other right, races. Right. Um, those hurdles are about five inches wide. Um, so actually some people, their strategy rather than a normal hurdle will be to step up onto the hurdle and leap over it. That's oh, allowed. That's, that's perfectly allowed. fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. We should have like a steeplechase, steeplechase and have people riding people <laughs> doing it. <laughs> I'd watch that. Oh my God. That um, would be wild. <laughs> um, what, wait, isn't a steeple a thing on top of a church? Why is it called the steeplechase? Do you know? Uh, they used so the term steeplechase started because they would mark how far they had gone in the race by going steeple to steeple, in like churches. Oh, yeah. No, oh, that's a that's. I mean, it's kind of fascinating when you hear these things. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. But not quite as fascinating as a people riding people race yes. <laughs> between churches. I'll uh, I'll sponsor someone to do you that. You should propose <laughs> it for the next Olympics. You're from Wicket and Craig. Yes, ma'am. And uh, and your name is? I'm Matt Bressler. I'm a sales and marketing Matt manager. Matt Bressler. Yes, okay. So. Um, and Filson, you're yep. from? Jeremy Filson. Bennett from Filson. Okay. Yep. I'm a manager of product development there. Awesome. And so it's safe to say you guys know a lot about leather. Um, and probably suede as well. Absolutely. I have a leather jacket that I just bought um, a year ago. And it had, you know, it's been about a year. And I really would like to keep it for maybe ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I was asking people how to take care of it. And they said to put um, like a some sort of cream or something. And on the cream it said to get it wet. And I was terrified of that idea to like wash it first and then do it. Um, how, what do you recommend in terms of taking care of, of leather products? Is it different for every leather product? Do Absolutely. you not ever get it wet? Yeah. Like, well, what do you do? Just be careful there. It, I, think, <laughs> I think it's kind of choice, too. I mean, preference. I think, personally, I wouldn't wash the leather before I condition it because of you're, you're washing away kind of your, your use and your customization of your leather mm -hmm. um, by, you know, your arms rubbing on the sides and it's starting to patina right there. You, you wouldn't want to wash all that off. Right. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Generally, yeah, anything that's good for your skin is generally good for leather, and I use that in you know, in, uh, just generally. Uh -huh. um, and so Botox, it, no. Uh, <laughs> well, how, how, how big do you want your coat? No, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, as far as that goes, I mean, leather conditioners are very vast. Um, some home remedies are as good as, as anything else, but um, use conditioners in an inconspicuous place first. Absolutely. Meaning, because it could darken, it could change the color. Um, use it in an area uh, you know that you approve of before you do an entire product, whether it be a coat or a wallet or jacket or a belt. How often would you say to do that? 
handling a piece of leather is the best thing you can do for it. Oh, just okay. general handling, just your hands. Uh, if, if you notice most belts, you never have to touch again. If you have a genuine leather belt, just the handling, the oils and waxes from your hands will generally take care of that. Um, the worst thing you can do with a piece of leather is nothing. Um, so if your leather is sitting in your in your closet for days and months and years on end, then you probably need to do a little more with that piece uh, piece of leather other than, say, maybe a jacket that you wear quite often. Um, and that's all subjective. Um, I have a pretty good example, and, and Jeremy, I'm sure, has some too, but I had a gentleman that uh, bought a piece of our leather and actually had it in his shed in Arizona for a year. That sounds uh, like a really bad yeah, idea. It's, um, <laughs> and, and, and the thing was, the gentleman had said, hey, you know, Matt, I bought this piece of leather from you a year ago. Um, it was great. I put it in the shed in Arizona and bought it out a year later and it cracked like toast. And I'm like, wow, I'm not surprised, you uh -huh. know. So you have to treat leather a lot like you would your own skin. Because right. it is a skin. So I shouldn't it's just hang out skin. in my in my closet for a year. <laughs> yeah, I guess you would. Well, but water's, water's okay for skin, but not for leather. Uh, it depends on the weather. Oh, okay. Yep. What what so makes that difference? Uh, different treatments. Um, the weatherproof stuff that we use right now has has oils and waxes and fats built into the tanning process that make it water repellent. Oh, okay, great. And can so that Filson does that? Does it? Does everybody do that? Can you do that to your own leather if you buy it? No, I would not <laughs> do it to your own leather. But you can buy weatherproofing conditioners that you can use and apply okay. to to a you know a natural veg tan or a, a chrome tan leather that can give it what, uh, weatherproof or waterproof characteristics. Okay. And anymore, there's a lot of leather creams and conditioners out there that actually works for different types of leathers. So Absolutely. when you look at a conditioning cream, it'll it'll use, it'll have uses on there. Pay attention to that because what's good for, say, a belt or you, even a piece of uh, saddle or tack is not necessarily always good for your coat. Um, so I would definitely um, keep an eye on the label right. and then use an in, 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 inconspicuous place. Yeah, there's quite a wide range. You, you, there's tinted stuff out there, too, that has color added to it to, if you have like a brown bag and you want to keep it the base color yeah. brown you can use a tinted um that's like are there any companies that you really like that make those sorts of things uh i mean we right now um picard's um okay. saddle oil is what we use for our boot oil they've okay. been supplying us for quite a while now there's, there's, there's one many. we like as well um that's actually be natural yep be natural's um, great too. and uh they have so many different types of leather conditioners mm -hmm. so if you look at their line um they're out of they're out of washington they're out of yep. jeremy's way um what about suede that's i uh i have a pair of suede boots that i think actually act as like rain divining rods because it's like the time the minute i put them on it starts raining it's ridiculous um is that I mean, obviously, there's suede protectors. Yeah, you would you would want to use a spray. I think most mostly okay. on something like that because if you get into rubbing creams and and and, and those kind of things onto your fibrous suede, uh, it's going to nap up a little bit, and it's also going to change the color and kind of your overall initial feeling of your suede. Right, and nobody wants that. That sounds terrible. Um, well, thanks y'all for talking to me, uh, and Absolutely. this is very helpful. And I'm uh, now I'm, I'm going to go like cross out on the back of my leather conditioner where it says to get it wet. So our tech editor, Alex George, has stopped by today to talk about some actual serious news. When the Democratic National Committee got hacked by potentially Russia a couple weeks ago, you and I were talking and you told me that it was a very particular type of attack. Um, and I wanted to know more about that. And sure. I'm glad you volunteered to stop by and tell us. Yeah, it comes down to... We took this HR course about online security for our office. It was I'm so long, too. A lot of people oh have God. to do this, where you answer, say, they, basically your human resources department says, don't open suspicious emails. This is exactly why, actually, which Wait, is like sad seriously, to say. So somebody like opened a suspicious, somebody opened like a Nigerian prince email, and that was the end of that? Kind of. The Nigerian <laughs> prince 
technique is an example of what's called phishing. P H I S I S H I N G. Okay. So, and that what that is is if you think about it as an analogy, is you're send out a whole bunch of emails with this you know this idea. Send me, you know, I have this money I need to send. Uh, give me your information, and you send the same one out to a whole bunch of people. Somebody's going to respond. Right. So this one, this particular version, if you to take to stretch the analogy even more, is called spear phishing. Oh man. I know. And what this is, so this is what happened to uh, Wasserman Schultz. Is that her hyphenate? Uh, Wasserman Schultz. Is that right? Wait, let me just double check that. Yes, Wasserman Schultz. So this is what happened to Wasserman Schultz and the other DNC uh, officials who got this. So with it, this is targeted. Apparently, the companies that did this, fun, I, fun fact, they're called um, Cozy Bear and Lazy, and uh, was it Fancy Bear? That's the other one. Cozy the, Bear and Fancy Bear? the name of the, given to the organizations, the Russian organizations that are alleged to have overseen this oh. attack. Yeah, right? Wow. Um, Fancy so, Bear. It's, it must be, like, really irritating to have, to, like, lose your job over something called, fa- someone named Fancy Bear. Fancy Bear? How'd you lose Fancy your job? Fancy Bear got me again! <laughs> I'm down by Fancy Bear. So basically what they do is they'll craft an email that will replicate something that looks really trustworthy. So it'll take information from your LinkedIn page, your Facebook page, and craft a subject line that looks like something we might get from Hearst, our parent company, or from from your organization or an organization that you trust. So it's a really convincing email that you get. And then what these guys did specifically was make – phony web pages that looked very much like the login page that they would typically go to, but it was a, you know, a fake web page. Uh-huh. The, P- the DNC people would put in their login information and then the guys would snag it there oh, and then they have wow. access to it. So, you, you know, it sounds like these guys are sitting there hitting their keyboards. I just need to get into the mainframe. No, it's just somebody who clicked on a link and, you know, maybe didn't look at the URL enough to realize that was so a number off. But wouldn't you realize once that happened that you had been spearfished? You know what I mean? Once once you type in your information and it doesn't go anywhere, wouldn't you realize then, ah, hell, like I got to change my password? If they do it correct, if they're good at it, it doesn't show up obviously like that. Right. It's it something that you might just miss as. crashed or something. Right. Okay. It looks much more innocuous than that. And then that's when... They installed malware. They made it so with once they got into the servers for this stuff, they could make it so it was something that keeps. They would keep evolving it to outrun uh, any right. attempts for antivirus software to get it. And that's why they call it a virus. There you go. Ah. Yeah. So it can. So uh, what if I don't want this to happen to me? Not that any of my emails are worth. Uh, <clears throat> hackers. Not that any of my emails are worth looking into. They aren't actually. <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's mostly like. Uh, Oh, what do you think we should do with this word on this page? Scandalous conversation about adjectives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this comma should really not be there. I'm going to tell you for the fifth time. Real adjectives. Um, yeah. Um, what would I do to, pr- to protect myself? I, this is, it's such an unsatisfying answer, but you kind of follow the rules that you're getting for, you know, that we heard and you get in your HR speeches. If something looks weird, um, clicking links that are in an email you know, if you know what it's going to, or you hover over it, and it, you know you are nowhere the site that they're directing you to, access it separately. Don't access it through the email. Copy the URL and make sure that it's you know, it's HTTPS, which means it's like a secure version. A lot of Google uses that now. Um, oh, so wait, if it's HTTP, wait, HTTPS, that means that it's secure. Right. One item that somebody downloaded was it was a 
uh, like a roster list or something dot XML, which would be uh, you know like a spreadsheet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that turned out to be you know that's the entry point for their malware. And once you click on that, it starts installing it, and then you're you're so hu- can sunk. can malware be hidden in any file format? Uh, yeah, there's no. It's a hard to like look for an extension or something like that okay. to, that'll signify it. Um, and the thing that reason that this happens is that. You know, you would think, you know, uh, firewalls or all these other things that you hear that companies pay a lot of money for to keep stuff like this out, they recognize email as typical traffic. So they don't, they allow, email is, for how long it's been around, it's still a very reliable method for getting something in that probably shouldn't be sent. Hmm. Do you, okay, here's actually, I should uh, probably not say this on this podcast, but I'm going to do it anyway. I know somebody who works for the National Security Agency. And I know I'm probably getting flagged right now. Mm -hmm. I know somebody who works in the National Security Agency. And uh, what he told me is that um, they actually have a separate system. So they've got and this is probably true of other organizations as well, where uh, they've got there's like when things things can come in from the outside, you know, things like emails or whatever can come in from the outside to one system. But then the other system is actually physically separate from that system. So like there's no way like all the classified stuff stays on the other system so nothing can get in cuz it's actually separate. Yeah, that's uh an intranet would be the kind yeah. of system that they're using. So yeah, basically a closed system like that. But the problem ends up being uh that update having the stuff updated mm-hmm. requires, you know, outside uh, software to be installed uh-huh. and so you get that's why you hear about so these So you can't keep everything totally in a clean room forever. No, I mean you hear about these companies you're like this company is using software from 10 years ago. You're like, well, that's that's why. But um, uh, yeah, and that's uh-huh. uh, so yeah, that makes complete sense that they have it that way. The humans are the variable that always end up making something happen like this. Right. Uh, NSA if you're listening uh, you didn't hear any of that. I disavow, I disavow all knowledge. This message will self-destruct in the next, what is it, five seconds? <laughs> what, Tom Cruise? Is, yeah. that, is that what we're talking Tom about Tom Cruise, now? if you're listening, uh, you run weird. Yeah. <laughs> we <laughs> just does, lost a listener. On. Oh, come on, he does run weird. Um, yeah, I guess he kind of does, doesn't he? He, uh, he runs super weird. Really? Yeah. Here in our testing table today, we have Henry Robertson, who's been on before. You were on our least useful podcast ever when you taught us how to <laughs> tune a f- uh, guitar to a phone. Oh, yes, I was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you've been trying something different lately. Yes, I have. I've um, been trying these new Cole Haan uh, shoes, which are very cool. Um, they're the Men's Grand Revolution Washington Laser Wing Oxford. Wow. That sounds um, a mouthful. A, yeah. It's a long name. <laughs> so, yeah. so these are just shoes? Um, they're not just shoes. They are, <laughs> they are not just shoes. <laughs> they are dress shoes, um, but also sports shoes at the same time. Whoa. Yeah. So, mind blown. Uh, my mind is blown. <laughs> um, so they look like dress shoes. Yes. Are yes. you wearing them right now? I am wearing them right oh, now. Oh, I'm going to have to look. Wow. Those do look like dress shoes. They've got little tiny holes in the top. Yeah. Yeah. Those are like the laser uh, perforations, which help oh. uh, breathability in the shoe. Wow. But you wouldn't note. I mean, you might you'd think that was a style choice if you saw that. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. very cool. I talked for a while with uh, Scott Pat, who is, um, is the VP of Design and Innovation at Cole Haan. He works in the Innovation Lab in New Hampshire. So there's a, there's a Cole Haan Innovation Lab? Yes. That's yeah. kind of, a, I wonder what else they're doing in there. Yeah. They're um, like, could you imagine this meeting? They're just like, you know what? You know, Wait, wait, wait. What if you could run for the bus in your shoes and it wouldn't hurt? Yeah. And the guy's like, oh, my God, brilliant. Yeah, I mean, I think that's pretty much how things went. I mean, <laughs> you know, these shoes are very utilitarian and very stylish. Did you try them? You ran I them? did. I ran in Central Park, and um, <laughs> they uh, they were good. I mean, I don't think they're going to be replacing, like, Nike or Asics anytime soon. But, mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of running, like, late to work, they're fantastic. And walking, they're very comfortable. They kind of have, like, this like kind of layered effect. Uh, mm-hmm. Scott Kevin calling this like bathtub effect um, where they would- Wait, a what effect? A bathtub effect. Okay. Which um, they took a part like kind of the sole and instead of making it like all leather, they put like this uh, inner layer of this proprietary foam, um, energy foam. And it just, um, it just has like a better like foot striking motion. Okay. Um, right, it's like bendier probably. Yeah, yeah, it's more flexible. Absorbs. Yeah, more yeah. energy. And there's also like moisture control in this like anatomical sock liner, um, ah. which is a top cloth on the footbed. So I mean, very interesting stuff. Yeah, but so but you said when you actually tried, so they you know they did all the stuff. It seems like it's cool. You actually tried it. It was a little pinchy. It was a little pinchy. Yeah, yeah. just but, on the toe. But no, but it didn't like hurt the bottom because I feel like no, hurting the, bottom, the bottom of your foot. The bottom would be... of the foot was good. Like the the heel was good, and like my arches usually hurt, and that was really good. Like, if you came, if I had a summer wedding and you showed up in those, I wouldn't be like, Henry, what are you wearing? You know? Yeah, no, so, they look classy and, like, you know, if the wedding party wants to play, like, a game of ultimate frisbee, like, you're totally, <laughs> you know, you're totally there. <laughs> you're you're all set. Yeah, I wouldn't, like, run a marathon in these, but, like, I mean, a little running, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, the pre, when they, you know, when, like, the bride's still getting ready and mm-hmm. all the groomsmen are standing around and somebody gets a hold of a football. Yeah. Not that that does that happen. I yeah, I think happens. so. It happens to wedding crashers, so I kind of just assume. Oh, that's, that's a, right. Yeah. Oh, how, you, we didn't say how much they cost. How much do these cost? Uh, Four hundred, which is kind of Ooh. expensive. <laughs> Ooh, yikes. Uh, okay. Um, if what? I had the money, I'd absolutely buy them. You but would really? Yeah. yeah well, four four hundred is it's quite a it's pretty steep for a pair of shoes, but yeah. But you but you would buy these over other four hundred dollars shoes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't think of a, a honestly, like I can't think of a pair of shoes that I would, you know, rather have for that amount of money. But wow. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a pretty ringing endorsement. Yeah. And they look good on you. Yeah. I like yeah. That. I, I would totally rock these out. Yeah. yeah. You currently are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I will. I, that I wouldn't buy them because they're men's dress shoes. But if you want to come out with high heels that I can run in. Yeah. I'm, all, I'm all ears, Cole Hahn. So that's our show. The Most Useful Podcast Ever is produced by the staff of Popular Mechanics and edited by Jesse Wright-Mendoza. We'd like to thank Sarah Bentley and Andy Bowers from Panoply and Popular Mechanics Editor-in-Chief Ryan D'Agostino. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a comment. We'd love to know what you think. If you want to read more about the Olympics, you should check out our website, popularmechanics.com. While you're there, you can subscribe to the print and digital edition of Popular Mechanics magazine for just $13.99 a year. I'm Jacqueline Detweiler. Thanks for listening.